Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. And welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here this hour for Mina Kim. And for the rest of the hour, we're going to be talking about a new state law that took effect January 1st. And it's going to require all of us to separate out organic materials from the rest of our garbage for composting. Everything from chicken bones to potato peels, all manner of food waste will no longer be dumped in with the rest of the garbage. And it requires a little work on the front end. If you don't live in a city that already does this, uh, well, it might seem a little odd or maybe a little daunting. And here to help us break it all down, so to speak, is Joe LaMariana. He's executive director of Rethink Waste, South Bayside Waste Management Authority. And also Courtney Brown. She's board president of California's Alliance for Community Composting. Good morning. Welcome to both of you. Good morning, Scott. Thank you so much for having us. Well, and Joe, let me begin with you. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about this law. It was actually passed in 2016 and signed by then-Governor Jerry Brown. Uh, How does it work, and how is it going to be phased in? Uh, Thank you, Scott. Uh, This law has been a long time coming. It is a transformative uh, uh, step in the right direction for climate change and uh, environmental uh, uh, improvement. Um, What this law does is it now has a mandatory requirement for, um, uh, for diverting organic material from landfills. And the reason why that's so important is in the mid uh, 2010s, the state commissioned a flyover uh, thermal mapping of California, and they they identified landfill as landfills as being primary um, super emitters of greenhouse gas uh, emissions. So, uh, there's been an all-out movement to uh, to to eliminate the material from there, and also identify it as a recoverable material that has really strong environmental uh, benefits. So. So that's what we're doing. It takes effect, uh, or took effect, excuse me, uh, January 1st of 2022. And we're off to the races on this, Scott. What does that mean, we're off to the races? Because not. I was just down in Southern California in Riverside County, and they had no idea this was coming. They don't compost. They don't separate their, you know, they don't have green bins like we do, say, yes. in San Francisco. So you may be off to the races, but, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, some, some people aren't really paying attention. So what should they be looking for? 
Well, uh, thank you for that clarification. Um, uh, my public agency handles solid waste recycling and composting services for about 60% of the San Francisco Peninsula. So here in the Bay Area, we've been pretty in tune to this for quite some time now, uh, going all the way back to 2010 when we integrated this material into our uh, program. So for us, this is a continued step. And I do realize throughout the state of California, there are many communities that are just really taking this step um, for the first time. And so what that means is uh, step one was in the early 90s where we started recycling re, uh, yard waste materials. So uh, clippings, branches, things like that in the early 2000s. Um, and in some communities in the late uh, 1990s, uh, we were doing food scraps uh, and now we're taking it, uh, expanding it very significantly. Our focus is of course, um, to the entire community, but our focus is gonna be going to the large generators in particular, the, um, the commercial uh, accounts and the multifamily accounts that do not currently use this program. And we have a lot of opportunity for um, engagement in that, uh, in that target sector. And, and Courtney Brown, um, what, what's been learned from the many years that places like San Francisco and other Bay Area communities and uh, probably I'm sure other parts of California have been doing with regard to these green bins and the waste, separating organic waste, what, what, what lessons have there been? Yeah, great question, Scott. Thanks for having me. So uh, what we know is in the Bay Area, we've been uh, composting for over a decade so far, and uh, generators are getting really good at source separating their material and placing it in the green bin. Um, and what's really exciting about this is that it is encouraging circular economies where we start to value the organic materials that were being sent to landfill as a renewable resource. And one of the most exciting things that's being created out of this is compost. Um, so essentially, this is a bill to have a very cost-effective way that everybody can pitch in and make a difference to combat climate change. Uh, compost really helps return valuable nutrients to the soil and maintain the soil quality and fertility so that it can hold more water. It can provide more um, nutrients into plant, um, and it can also reduce our reliance on pesticides. And when you think about both all the things that go into the waste stream and the variety of things that individuals can do to help mitigate greenhouse gas emissions and climate change, where does composting fit on that spectrum? Yeah, that's a great question. We need to be attacking climate change by every single angle, from renewable energy and solar power to electric vehicles. But with composting, um, this is a key ingredient to uh, not only creating uh, organic farming, sustainable agricultural practices, which produce more food and healthier soils, but they also create good green jobs in our communities. Um, and if done in conjunction with community gardens and community spaces, can also be an important element for addressing food insecurity as well. And, and Joe, when you, uh, you're you very familiar with the waste stream as uh, somebody in charge of recycling, uh, how, you know, what, to what extent, what percentage, for example, of all the waste is uh, food scraps and other organic material? So Scott, uh, we've done a number of uh, waste characterization studies and it comes back consistently uh, between 30 and 40% of the waste stream is organic material that would be uh, potentially um, uh, candidates for this, for this uh, 
program. So we want to, we're already capturing a lot of that, but there's still a lot of material left in the waste stream. So um, we currently have uh, about 10,000 commercial customers and about a quarter of them have been participating in the program. So we're targeting the other 75%. We're also, we also want it through a very extensive public education uh, program, want to bring uh, the entire community along to have them really understand that they can put um, all kinds of food scraps in the green cart. And many of them do, but many do not. Yeah. So really want to up the ante on that, Scott. We, uh, before the show, had more than 100 comments from people who knew we were going to be talking about this. So I know there's a lot of interest from our listeners. So I'll give out the phone number. It's 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Or you can get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. If you have any thoughts about composting, are you looking forward to it? Do you dread it? Uh, Anything like that. And Aaron asks on Instagram, are local governments providing the bins for composts? You've got to make it easy for people to do if it's going to be effective. That's certainly true. Courtney Brown? Yeah, so uh, CalRecycle is the department, the state department that has um, been working on the regulations and implementation of the rules for this law. And they've left it up to every jurisdiction to decide on how to best manage the waste services that they provide. Uh, uh, The material will have to be source separated, but how a jurisdiction goes about that is up to them. So for most communities, we'll start to see the green bin, which we're already using for our yard scrap and um, we'll be able to put food waste in there. Others will have uh, smaller, more kitchen pails that they can separate out the food material and place it in their black bin where it'll be source separated at another facility. Um, But uh, just check with your local jurisdiction. If you haven't heard from them already, there are about 50% of California cities that are starting to implement these programs between now and July. And so you should hear the exact directions from them. And presumably, because as I said earlier, the law was passed in 2016, this is not going to hit these local governments and uh, you know waste collectors by surprise, right? They've had uh, quite a long ramp up time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, in the Bay Area, as you know, we've already been doing this um, for over a decade. Uh, so this is really looking at um, communities in San Diego and Los Angeles for really big urban areas in Sacramento and expanding uh, this programming to all of Californians now. Um, there will be uh, some... Um, mandatory uh, parts of this, like multi-dwelling homes and commercial generators will probably be onboarded first and then single-family homes later. But by um, 2024, everybody in California should be participating in the program. Here's another listener comment uh, who asks, in theory, this is a lovely idea, of course, but this is just another regulation to burden small businesses. Incentives would be a better idea than a law. Uh, Joe, any thoughts about that? Uh, and, and and just, you know, in that regard, uh, are there going to be fines for small businesses and individuals or apartment owners who don't participate once it's implemented in their area? Yeah, thanks, Scott. Um, well, the answer is yes to both questions. Uh, there are incentives, and yes, there will be fines uh, down the road. Uh, what, are, this- what are the incentives? <laughs> So the incentives, and they are incentives that have existed in our area since 2004. Um, So the incentives are uh, price incentives. So there's typically in our area, there are between 25 and 50% um, uh, rate reduction for um, transferring every cubic yard of municipal solid waste over to organic um, 
recycling carts. So that's quite an impressive incentive. Uh, and the second part of the question is, will there be uh, fines? Uh, the law mandates that every community uh, takes full ownership of implementing the mandatory commercial or the commercial organics recycling uh, law here. And uh, one of those tools that they intend to use uh, is um, the use of, of fines for uh, individuals, or I guess you'd say businesses that do not comply. Yeah. So that's coming down the road. Obviously, there's about a two-year uh, phase-in process, and we're hoping through education, and we explain why this is so important, that we're able to uh, uh, move the needle on that and have a very, very small amount of folks in that latter category. All right. Well, the phones have lit up. So let's begin with Erica in Oakland. You're first. Welcome to Forum. Hi. Um, thanks for having my question, which is, can we, what mechanism can we use to pressure local businesses to make every part of the packaging our to-go food comes in recyclable? For example, I bought a cake at Market Hall recently, and I know I can put the box in there. And so I threw the whole box in and then later had to fish out the little foil thing that the cake actually sat on it. Such a disgusting thing to go into your compost bin <laughs> and fish stuff out. And I'm always having to fish out plastic bags when I've thrown away produce. And, oh, there's a rubber band or something like that. And it's like, how much of a problem is it? Hmm. Let me just ask one question. How can we pressure the businesses to have 100% recyclable packaging. Yeah. Joe, let me put that to you. And I, I'm sure that every small business person cringes when they hear the thought of more pressure from government on something <laughs> that is an unfunded mandate, probably. Um, but what are your thoughts? I mean, uh, as you said earlier, it's about education, encouragement, uh, in, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. Thank you. A great, great question. Uh, it's something I've dealt with for over 30 years uh, in the industry. Uh, when I started in uh, the East Bay and in San Francisco and now down on the peninsula. Uh, really, my best uh, uh, recommendation is uh, education and doing it in a positive way, not in a sort of a negative, punitive way, uh, talking to the shopkeepers, the business owners. Uh, and I've, I've seen uh, a really impressive shift um, when business owners become more engaged and in tune to these types of decisions that they make when they put their packaging out. Uh, so for instance, um, you know, the takeout containers, instead of having the uh, foam styrofoam shells that go out now, I noticed, um, and, and part of this is because we've talked to business owners and restaurateurs uh, and, and encouraged them to use more uh, environmentally uh, favorable um, uh, types of packaging, it really comes from the consumer up. And uh, I, I think that's where it starts, right there at the ground level. Yeah. Businesses in tune to their customers, they're going to be in tune to the request. All right, Erica, thanks for that question. And let's uh, stay in the East Bay. We'll go to Berkeley now. And Harvey, you're next. Welcome. Uh, thank you. Happy New Year. Good morning. Uh, I'm just asking because you're, you've been saying put those food scraps, et cetera, into the green bin. Well, where I live, there's already a green bin for lawn clippings, yard trimmings, and stuff like that. Is that where it goes, or is there going to be a new green bin coming out? Yeah, Courtney, it's it's all organic matter, including clippings, right? Correct. Put it in the green bin. Yeah. So if you already have a green bin, uh, if you already have a green bin, if you, wouldn't you already be throwing at least potentially food scraps in there? I mean, like why? Uh, well, yeah. I, I didn't know that because it just says yard lawn scraps. It doesn't say anything about food waste oh, yeah. in it. So. Okay, there you so go. Now, 
I think it's a good thing to know. Maybe they could put out some kind of a flyer or relabel those bins or something so people get the get the, with the program. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you very much. Happy New Year to you as well. Um, here is a very practical question from a listener on Instagram who writes, how are we supposed to do this in the mountains in bear country? Compost attracts animals in rural areas. That's not safe for them or for humans. Uh, Courtney Brown? Yeah, well, I would say that um, right now, we're already placing it into a plastic bag and putting it in a black bin. Um, and the green bin is going to sit right next to the black bin. So we're already throwing it out in uh, in at the end of our driveways or in our bear boxes. Uh, so just determining which bin it's in isn't going to actually um, change any of the predators who want to get at it. So that all is going to stay the same. But what it does for society is it helps easily more source separate the material so that it can be recovered and turned into renewable resource. So it is still going to be important to just place it in the correct bin. Yeah. And I don't know if this helps with bears, but one listener had a good suggestion. She writes, or he writes, I keep my compost bag in my freezer, which ensures the food waste doesn't attract bugs or emit putrid smells in my kitchen. It also means no drip when I carry it to the bin, which I think we've all, those of us who already separate food scraps can relate to that. Uh, Back to the phones now. Let's go to Crescent in Oakland. Welcome. Oh, hi. Thanks. Um, Great topic. Um, I I live in Oakland and, you know, we've been doing this for a long time in businesses and in apartment buildings. And I find that compliance is really hard um, in terms of sorting, even with a small business doing education, people still put the wrong things in the compost, such as plastic, recycling, et cetera. And I'm wondering, you know, like in my apartment building, people put plastic in all the time. Does it make it completely useless? And what can we do to educate on a wider scale? Because I think we need to put a lot of money into education. Yeah, good question. Joe LaMariano, why don't you take that one? Because I I think, I mean, I know I've been to, say, the farmer's market, and you see the, the brown, the green, and the blue bins, and you're not quite sure what goes in where. And sometimes you just kind of, you know, you're in out of exasperation. You, you throw it in there. You know, think you make, maybe you made the right decision. Maybe you didn't. Uh, well, but what, you know, to Crescent's question, like, uh, you know, what happens? Sure, sure. Uh, that is really the essence of the success of the program, isn't it? Um, we've got, uh, Courtney said it a couple of times already. Thank you, Courtney. Um, source separating. That means that the end user, the people on the front end of the program, actually make a decision on which, uh, into which cart do they place the right materials. And so that's where the education comes in, doesn't it? Uh, it's essential. So the two enemies of the program are glass and plastic. Um, we have ways at the production facilities, the large scale institutional composting facilities to take the material out. But if you saw the magnitude of material that goes inbound to these um, uh, facilities, and see the small fractional amounts of plastic, glass, and, and other um, you know, contaminants that go out, it's really challenging for the processors to get this. So the very best way to do it is to educate. So that's through signage on the upfront, that's through color coordinating of the carts and bins. Um, I heard uh, Harvey earlier talking about, um, uh, you know, hey, what, when, you know, what's the change with the green cart? Um, there have been as I said earlier, there's been evolutions of this program where it started out as, as yard scraps, now it's gone to yard scraps, but that hasn't been consistent in every community. And one thing that this law does is it throughout the state of California, you're required to have a color three card system. 
And that's really important. Yeah. All right. Don't go away. We've got lots more to talk about. What questions do you have about composting? Do you see it as a big hassle or a great idea whose time has come? Give us a call at 866-733-6786. You can also get in touch on Twitter and Facebook. I know you've figured that out already because we have about 100 comments. Uh, so, But in case you haven't, we're at KQED Forum. Scott Schaefer here today for Mina Kim. Much more to come on composting. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. Scott Schaefer here this hour from Mina Kim, and we're talking about a new state law that mandates composting to reduce emissions from food waste. Our guests, Joe LaMariana, he's executive director of Rethink Waste, South Bayside Waste Management Authority, and Courtney Brown, she's board president of the California Alliance for Community Composting. Give us a call at 866-733-6786 if you'd like to join us. And we're going to go next to Menlo Park and Gabriel. Welcome. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Uh, I have a landlord who maybe doesn't totally understand the new law. Um, I've been asking her for actually a few years to get a green bin, so I'm really excited about this new law. I'm wondering how um, she actually sent us some information about the law, and when I asked her when we were getting the bin, she didn't quite understand the question. So I'm wondering how I can... um, kind of encourage her with maybe the state's help or, or someone else's help to get us those green bins. Yeah, good question. Uh, Joe, uh, I mean, it's not really uh, the landlord's responsibility to get the bins, right? Uh, so uh, what what can uh, what can the caller do? What can Gabriel say or do uh, to, to get those bins? Yeah, thanks, Scott. And Gabriel, first of all, thank you. You are my hero. You're in my <laughs> area. You want the service. And we're trying to get it to you, my friend. Um, so uh, actually, Scott, it is the landlord's responsibility oh. to, to get this. And that's where our franchised hauler, Recology of San Mateo County, in our particular case, uh, will have um, uh, experts that will go out and work with each landlord, each property manager, to make sure that they are right-sized for the service and that their, uh, their tenants have the uh, proper access to it. That's what the law is all about. And is there anything else that Gabriel can do besides bug his landlord? Uh, Gabriel, you're welcome. If you go to rethinkwaste.org, you'll see contact information for me. If you get me your uh, address, I'll be happy to pass it on to our friends uh, at Recology, and they will uh, make that contact. I'm sure they've actually already made it, but... Um, you know, we're, we're trying to uh, up the uh, enthusiasm level, if you will, um, you know, knowing that the law has, uh, has, has now taken effect. So, All right. Good. Thanks yeah. very much for the question, Gabriel. And Monique writes on Instagram, how will we be able to organize to have our compost picked up within L.A. County? We live in an apartment complex and are so excited about being able to compost in a county that doesn't typically do that. Uh, Courtney Brown? Yeah, this is actually a very exciting question. Thank you, Monique. Um, The California Alliance for Community Composting is in the process of rolling out community-based 
compost hubs across Los Angeles County. And for people that don't actually have a curbside pickup program offered to them by their jurisdiction, they'll be able to donate their materials to a community garden where they can bring it down to the farmer's market once a week and drop off the material there, where it will be diverted to community gardens, public parks um, throughout Los Angeles County. So uh, we're also in the process of supporting micro haulers. Uh, so these are community-based groups who can provide services um, pick up services for, say, uh, urban, densely urban um, populated areas or apartment complexes that are a little bit more harder to service for the large-scale haulers and get that material either to a transfer station or get it down directly to a community garden located near you. All right. And Eric writes, I found some biodegradable compost bags that comply with standards that are allowed in the green bins, but I found them to be a bit thin. Is there any recommendation for heavy-duty bags that are not easily punctured or ripped. Joe, any thoughts on that? Sure. Um, the challenge of the bags is, one, it makes it easy to transfer the material from uh, a smaller container to the larger container. So that's a positive. The, the downside to the bags is, even though they might be environmentally certified, they are problematic for the processor. So we actually are not, we can take them, uh, but we're not super excited about them. And the heavier duty they are, uh, the more challenging they become because hmm. it just takes a longer time to biodegrade in the processing. Uh, so, so even the ones that say they're biodegradable are really problematic? Yeah, they, they can be because it's hard for the processor to identify on the large scale, the mega scale that these folks operate on, to identify compostable versus non-compostable. Hmm. So they end up having to sort it all out. And the, the compostable bags will eventually biodegrade. So they are a prefer environmentally preferable choice. But um, from a processing standpoint, they, they are problematic. And it's it's a challenge for us in the industry. Really yeah, is. yeah, but it is. I didn't know that. I thought that uh, I was doing the right thing. Um, so you're saying it's really better just to well, you, go yeah, ahead. Scott, you, you certainly are doing the right thing compared to an oil based product, a petroleum based product. So, uh, you know, it's probably I know this is off topic, but in the fall, there's going to be a ballot measure for um, to increase uh, recycling and reduce plastic pollution prevention. So I ask all of our uh, listeners to, to really tune into that. Hmm. Uh, that's a topic for another day. Yes, yes. I'm sure we'll be talking about that at some point. All right, let's go back to the phones now. And Teresa in Campbell, you're next. Hi, I'm curious about the role of the waste hauler with this new law. Um, I know the waste hauler in my city uses the green bin waste for their own erosion abatement at their landfill. So assuming that we're putting our food waste organics into our green bin, will my waste hauler now be required to actually compost my organics? Hmm. Joe? Yes. Uh, there, there, are, there were uh, historically, a, a, there was a subcategory material that could be used as something called alternative daily cover and some other uh, uses at the landfills um, for this material. And over time, uh, we in the industry, uh, the environmental movement uh, has passed laws to restrict the use of that. So that material by law should be going to an organics processor now. All right, thanks very much for that question. And uh, we've got also a question, uh, sort of a practical question from Nancy who writes, for small quantities of uh, uh, food scraps in the kitchen, should we avoid using the in-sink garbage disposal in favor of composting, does it matter? I know from a water perspective, those are a real waste of water, right? Joe? 
Yes, uh, that is correct. Uh, there's been a real movement away from the garbage disposals and into the composting material because the material that would go through the garbage disposal would go, would go through the community's wastewater treatment plant um, facilities and it would overload the facilities and cause them great, um, uh, great heartburn, uh, if you will. So there's been a real movement. Uh, I worked at the County of San Mateo for 10 years in the public works department. I sat right next to the folks that managed this, this program, <laughs> the wastewater program. And they constantly had heartburn over this because that material would clog the system and uh, cause, cause a lot of problems, uh, functionally speaking. So uh, yet another reason for us to divert the material and get it uh, into the same uh, productive reuse that Courtney was alluding to earlier. Yeah, we recently got a little screen to go over the disposal. So it captures all that food stuff and then you can just easily dump it into the bin. So uh that's what we're doing at our house. All right, let's go up to the coast now, Mendocino Coast. Henry, you're next. Uh, yes, hi. Um, I, uh, my wife and I are already um, home composting, um, but it can be a big pain, and we are uh, very excited to have. Sorry, that's my toddler. <laughs> we are very excited to have a green bin show up. Um, we love uh, home compost for our garden in the summertime. But right now, we don't have that much use for it. Um, and so it can kind of fill up in our home compost bin. Yeah. Um, but I also wanted to mention one really nice advantage. Your trash doesn't smell. You use yes. compost, then your trash is just dry and clean. Yeah, yet another reason. Courtney Brown, uh, how, how are things up on the Central Coast? You think of Mendocino as being a pretty green county. Um, is that one of the counties that's either already doing composting or will be soon? Yeah, all counties in California will be composting soon. But um, but, it's, but it's phased. Better. It is phased in, right? I mean, there's. I guess everyone will do it within this year, though. Correct. Yeah, and Mendocino County has a pretty um, temperate climate uh, where you'd have the ability to do home composting all year round. Um, so uh, implementing a green bin system in those is uh, supplemental. Of course, we always want to encourage people at home to reduce the amount of food waste they're producing in the first place and recovering any food that's still edible to feed themselves or their neighbors. And then the home composting, if you can manage it yourself on site, and then using a jurisdiction's service provider as an alternative and an additional option for when all of those aren't possible. All right, Henry, thanks very much for that. Let me give out the number again, 866-733-6786. And let's go to Walnut Creek. And Tricia, you're next. Welcome to Forum. Good morning. Thank you. I have a question about pet waste. So I understand that um, cat and dog waste shouldn't go in the green bin. However, um, small animal waste like guinea pig and rabbit uh, waste and bedding is great compost. Um, however, our carrier had included in one of their bills a note stating that all pet waste should go in the black bin. So I was just wondering about composting of uh, like rabbit and guinea pig waste um, hmm. could go in the green bin as opposed to going to the black bin. Yeah, Courtney, let me put that to you and, and confirm if you would that you can't put, you know, dog or cat waste into the green bin. Is that that's correct? This is a tough one. I will say that manures are an excellent inoculant to getting the microbial decomposition process started in composting. So manure plays a really important role. Um, 
I would recommend either bringing this material, if it's in small quantities, down to a community compost hub where they could really use that manure. Um, in industrial facilities, the material is heated to over um, 151 degrees Fahrenheit for a period of 15 or more days, and that is able to um, reduce the pathogens um, that are uh, present in the final compost product. So if the whole decomposition project process is managed well, then we would be able to get any of the pathogens that's created by pet waste out of those. Um, however, there are a lot of, um, say, dewormers or antibiotic agents that are sometimes present in animal manures that aren't easily as broken down during these processes. And I think that that's actually the concern, not that the material is organic and it won't decompose. Uh, Tricia, does that respond to your question? I think so. What I'm hearing is that pet waste should continue to go to black, uh, the black bin. Yes. Yep, exactly. All right. Thanks very much for that question. And uh, it's just this really points out, uh, Courtney, just how nuanced this is. Um, you know, you think you know what the right thing to do is. I probably would have gotten the answer wrong on that question about cats and dogs. Um, so there's a lot of education. Yeah, and I think that um, really one of the biggest um, barriers right now to this change is that people need to better understand the benefits of composting and how to do it correctly. So educating the general public in the next few years is going to be really important to the uptake of this program and also to the success of it and to minimizing contaminants that make it into the stream. Yeah. So education yeah. being a core component, and especially what the California Alliance for Community Composting is doing. It. We're right there at the local level. We're able to be receiving this material and educating the person when they're dropping it off and really telling them the do's and the don'ts so they feel connected to the process and to doing it correctly. You're listening to Forum. I'm Scott Schaefer. And we go now to Camarillo, California. And Pat, you're next. Welcome. Hey there. Thank you so much. Do they uh, say it Camarillo? They don't say Camarillo there, do they? Uh, they do if you're from Texas, but I ain't from Texas, so I don't say Camarillo. Okay. okay, that's what I thought. Um, but yeah, so I'm a registered nurse, and I also have a bachelor's in animal sciences. And I have been running um, privately my own composting collection process with multiple restaurants. Um, there's a number of loopholes that are in the SB. Uh, 1383 dealing with animal waste um, and as a disclaimer I only collect green waste I don't collect animal fats or proteins or anything unless of course they're already cooked foods but I've also processed over 50,000 pounds in the last 12 years minus the 18 months that COVID started um, my question is you actually can, weigh it how do you know you how do you know that number well, it's because I run a bucket program, and I weigh the buckets approximately. I mean, at this point, I already know what the buckets weigh. Each five-pound bucket, you know, if I get 25 buckets a week, you know, and I'm changing them out every four days, you know, excuse me, four times a week with a restaurant, then, you know, it's I, yeah. I, you know if they're full or they're empty, it's, yeah. it's fairly intuitive. It's not scientific at this point, but... What is scientific is the uh, combination of my animal partners in composting. Between the vermiculture, the chickens, I'm allowed five chickens in the city and uh, four adult rabbits. And so between them, they're either composting, chewing, spitting out, pooping, or the worms are digesting. And so it's a, it's a massive digesting pro And I even ran uh, composting worm bins for a couple of years and did that on a cycle too. The um, 
the problem I see with the loopholes with all these things is the animal waste, the protein component, the fat component, which I don't manage. But I know of, you know, the dead waste haulers, and uh, they're always having problems with the landfills. And these animal products are causing just more methane because it's concentrated nitrogen. Yeah, interesting. Let me put Um, that. We're short on time, uh, so I'm going to cut you off there. But uh, let me have Joe respond to that uh, loophole question. Well, the the law as it takes effect is to divert 75% of the organic material from landfills uh, going back to 2014 numbers. So so we recognize that 100% of it is not going to get diverted, but the vast majority will. Um, you know, I did want to revise uh, one statement I made earlier, and I said that there's 30 to 40% of organic material uh in the waste stream. Uh, That is what's still remaining in the waste stream uh, after years and years of having a green cart system already. So that's an important distinction. There's still 30 to 40% of waste there. Hmm. Uh, The the animal waste um, uh, topic is a very interesting topic. I'm just going by what my processors tell us and the processors do not want the material. Um, So it's unfortunate. Courtney has has a great point that it is desirable, but there's some additives in it that make it undesirable. Yeah, so. yeah. Okay, so better to keep it out, put it in the in the brown bin. All right, uh, let's see if we can get another caller in here. And Carolyn or Caroline in San Francisco, you're next. Welcome. Oh, good morning. Um, I have been putting my wet, uh, sloppy waste in milk cartons and then putting those in the bin, and I'm thinking I've been doing the wrong thing. Uh, if that's correct... I should I wrap it in newspaper before I dump it in? Um, can and you answer that? Well, and when you say wet, sloppy waste, like what are you referring to exactly? What oh, is it? Like uh, fruit that has uh, that was, was you know like watermelon things hmm. that have gone kind of bad, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not going to eat. Okay, um, Courtney. Yeah, this is a great question. So a lot of paper products are actually lined. Um, with a grease retardant on them, and that milk cartons being one of those. And those aren't fully compostable materials. So I'd actually recommend that your second idea of wrapping it in some newspaper or even putting some paper towels down in the bottom of your bin to absorb some of that excess water discharge that happens when the material starts to decompose. That'll help with the wetness, the stickiness, and also the stinks as well. All right, Caroline, thanks for that question. And uh, as we get to the end of the hour, Nicole just has a very basic question. Can you be more specific about what organic matter is? I understand food waste, et cetera, but does this include paper, cardboard, wax paper, cartons, and so on? Joe, you want to give us the maybe the medium to short list of what it does and doesn't include? Sure. Um, yes to all of those items that uh, she just mentioned. Uh, that That is one of the uh, transformative parts of this law is they have really broadened the list of what is organic. And that is something that our um, industry is really um, uh, challenged with right now because we've got a certain system set up right now to handle a certain subcategory of that, and now we're expanding it radically. Yeah. All right. We're going to leave. We're going to have to leave it there. We are out of time, but. Uh... You can tell by the number of comments and calls, a lot of interest in this topic. Joe LaMariana, Executive Director of Rethink Waste, South Bayside Waste Management Authority, thanks to you. And thanks to Courtney Brown, Board President of the California Alliance for Community Composting. And thanks to all of our listeners for the great questions and comments as well. You've been listening to Forum. Thanks so much for joining us. Ariana Prail is here tomorrow. For now, I'm Scott Schaefer. Have a great day.
funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Soul to Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Soul to Story are available now.